It's Macy's One Day Sale with great deals of the day to refresh every room in your home. Like 40 to 60% off bright kitchen updates from the Martha Stewart Collection. Brand new cookware sets 50 to 70% off. And get our lowest prices of the season on cozy comforter sets. Just $19.99 at Macy's. Plus, Star Money bonus days start tomorrow. Details at Macy's.com slash Star Money. Savings off sale and clearance prices. Exclusions apply. It's Macy's One Day Sale with great deals of the day to refresh every room in your home. Like 40 to 60% off bright kitchen updates from the Martha Stewart Collection. Brand new cookware sets 50 to 70% off. And get our lowest prices of the season on cozy comforter sets. Just $19.99 at Macy's. Plus, Star Money bonus days start tomorrow. Details at Macy's.com slash Star Money. Savings off sale and clearance prices. Exclusions apply. What is up, guys? Welcome back for another Thursday of Raising Serotonin. And, okay, so I'm not going to lie to you. I said that I wasn't going to have guests because of what happened a few months ago. But, you know, I made, I made a little exception here because this is huge. This is huge. We have a real-life pharmacist this week. Like, this is huge. Like, we're getting into the science, the all of the chemicals behind our brain. Like, this is what Raising Serotonin – should be about, but I'm not the pharmacist, so that's why we have guests. So go ahead, tell everyone who you are. Hey everyone, my name is Saad. I am a uh, help my doctorate of pharmacy degree from Duquesne University, uh, and yeah, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. Okay, so tell the peeps what you do now and how you got started. Sure. Uh, so currently, I am a community pharmacy manager. So I manage an entire pharmacy. Uh, staff, medications, um, patients. Uh, so I do that full time. But then when I do have free time, I am building a mental health startup uh, named Silo Health. Silo Health is geared toward the education, legislation, and integration of all things psilocybin. So I think today we'll be talking about psilocybin. Uh, additionally, I'm uh, a co-founder of a nonprofit, the Psychedelic Pharmacists Association, and active here in the Pittsburgh community, serving as the vice president of the Psychedelic Club of Pittsburgh. Oh, I didn't know that you were the vice president. Look at you. I knew you were like, you knew you were super invested, but like to say that you're a VP, okay. Okay. Uh Mm -hmm. You know. Okay, (laughs) doctor and VP, like you win. I guess so, yeah, I guess. If there's a game, you win, I guess, yeah. (laughs) Congrats, you won the game, and now you can live happy okay so if you guys don't know anything about duquesne duquesne is where we both went to college and Mm -hmm. duquesne's pharmacy program is actually batshit crazy shout out courtney catrone we love you um just Mm -hmm. (laughs) like just because i i can't believe that you guys do what you do in this pharmacy program and to say that you are just like te- technically like a, a drugstore pharmacist is like not fulfilling enough. So well, that is why you started like all of the things behind totally. what you're doing now, right? Totally. And I mean, I it's it's part of the, the traumatizing journey of being a pharmacy student in and of itself is probably really what led me down this this path, this journey I'm on right now, uh, pursuing these alternative 
uh, healing modalities being psychedelic medicine. Right. Okay, cool. But before we get into all of that, can you get from a, a pharmacist, give the people what they need about serotonin, tell them where serotonin is produced, how it is produced. Give me the rundown of your, if we, if you think of serotonin, what is the doctor in you say? Pharmacist. Yeah. So, I mean, serotonin is essentially known as like that, uh, a happy chemical. Right. It's one of the three main uh, monoamine neurotransmitters uh, in the brain. Uh, it, believe it or not, actually, 90% of the serotonin is actually created in the gut. So that's a really fun fact. So that's yes. why, you know, food, diet, nutrition, uh, the microbiome, microbiota, that gut brain axis is super important when it comes to preserving healthy amounts of, of uh, all your neurotransmitters, but especially serotonin. Uh, there are different serotonin receptors. So when it comes to like uh, people that are a bit more, you know, essentially depressed due to their neurochemistry, you know, they're la- they just lack a certain amount of serotonin uh, in, their, in, their, in their brain, in their body. So that, that's the traditional approach to how we view depression and even some anxiety being a lack of serotonin or other neurotransmitters in the brain. So that's one of the nice things about the pharmaceutical industry being, to su- being able to help supplement or essentially uh, inhibit the reuptake of, of serotonin through SSRIs or through SNRIs. So an SNRI would be a a serotonin norepinephrine reuptake inhibitor that would promote or increase both serotonin and norepinephrine, which are both neurotransmitters. Uh, SSRIs, which is like your Lexapro, your fluoxetine, your your, uh, Paxil, that would be uh, your uh, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, so that's specifically serotonin. So uh, there's a a handful of other antidepressants out there, but there is no question at all that serotonin has a huge huge uh, correlation to uh, positive well-being, uh, happiness, and overall mental health. That was beautiful. Like, I Thanks. felt it. I Honestly, it was a little science but that's okay, because that's what it is. <laughs> like, I'm, this I'm chemical. Hoping. Yeah. I, yeah. Like, and she, that, she's flashing her uh, serotonin uh, uh, tattoo. Bicep. Just, you guys know, yeah. On the bicep. bicep. Yeah, yeah. Does yeah. that give you, like, a little PTSD? Uh, nah, I mean, not too much because of serotonin, you know, we start talking about the compounds, yeah, sure, but, uh, yeah, no, we're good, we're good. Honestly, like, I'm not gonna lie, okay, guys, like, it's just because, like, I had a roommate that was a pharmacy major, so I'm, like, kind of, like, I understand, like, I don't understand any of it, let me just say, but- but I saw what she went through, like, you were saying, like, it was a little bit traumatizing going through this, this schooling, and- I just know that it was like organic chemistry two and well, okay, one and two were just like, those were the two classes I remember everyone struggling with. So, and that's and like, that, a was, lot of- that was, that's like pre-pharmacy too. That's not even in pharmacy school. Like <laughs> you're right. people that, yeah, you have OCHEM one, OCHEM two, those are tough, but that you're taking that as a sophomore. And then when you're junior, that's your first year of pharmacy school. And then you have five or six classes just as difficult as OCHEM. Uh, and that, that was, that was a rude awakening for sure. (laughs) How did you know you wanted to be a pharmacist or let me ask, what was the, the goal, I guess? Like, because like, if you're still a doctor, I consider you a doctor. So like, did you not, why did you not want to go like the actual like medical route of it? Like what was it the, like the drug concept behind it? Or did you just like pick pharmacy because you knew that you would make a lot of money doing it? So it's like definitely a handful of things. Like I definitely 
I got into it because I, I love the sciences. Like, I loved biology. I loved chemistry. Like, that stuff was really cool to me. I always kind of knew I wanted to be a doctor, I think. It might have been, like, my immigrant parents sort of forcing the narrative on me, being like, oh, you will be a doctor. Like, my mom's Taiwanese. My dad's Jordanian. And, like, when it comes to having a son of the doctor, like, that is the most, that's the proudest thing an immigrant parent could ever have. So, you know, although I didn't become a medical doctor, that's fine with me because I could not do that much schooling. I mean, I guess there's only an additional two years, but then on top of that, you have residency, potential fellowships to specialize. Like I just could not do that. Uh, I just didn't want to do that. And yeah. then additionally, like, yeah, I mean, helping people is awesome. You know, it's just be, being able to help make sense of some very complex subjects surrounding health and wellness. Like if I can be someone to like a resource for someone to ask questions. Like I saw people asking me on my Twitter DMs, like, you know, Hey, I'm taking a, I have really bad allergies. Like can I take this and this together? And I'll be like, yes, yes or no. I mean, it's, it's cool to be a resource for people, you know? That's, so I love that. Yeah. I got into it because primarily because I was really into supplementation, like vitamins, like pre-workout stuff. Like I was like really big in bodybuilding essentially back in high school. And no uh, yeah. Yeah. And like, I was all about, you know, your macros and like protein intake and all that mm -hmm. stuff. I've definitely strayed away from that now, but that, that <laughs> but learning, but being able to learn about human, the human body physiology, like that was just super interesting to me. So that's probably a lot of the reasons as to why I pursued a, a degree in pharmacy and then the, the money as well as nice too. <laughs> so that, of that course. Honesty. I love the honesty. You're not mm -hmm. wrong. That's really awesome that you had, because like that's so young too. I feel that a lot of people don't know like what they want to do. I was one of those people. So for you to have like somewhat of it figured out is definitely an advantage to you. So how did you get involved in your nonprofit or, or whatever else you said that you were doing in the beginning? Tell sure. us more about that. Yeah, I, I mean, think, give me the lowdown. I, I think a lot of it was just not really buying what I was selling uh, going through pharmacy school. Like, uh, you know, I learned a tremendous amount of information uh, about different disease states and managing them, not really treating them, uh, managing symptoms, learning about symptoms, the, the, the chemistry, the, the, the medicinal chemistry behind how, how, th how medications operate and function in the body. And it's all cool. It's fascinating. It's super in-depth stuff. But like, I didn't think that it was just the best approach to providing care. You know, we say we work in a healthcare system, but it's really more of a sick care system. You know, we just keep people oh. sick uh, and, it's, and like we keep them managed and like that's one option. But for me, I just knew there had to be more options out there. And I, you know, I, throughout my time in pharmacy school, I had a pretty bad breaking point, maybe two years in to where, you know, I was pulling a lot of all-nighters back to back. I was uh, you know, drinking a lot of caffeine on a lot of stimulants and just not sleeping at all. I was working two jobs at the time. I was working at a Waffles and Caffeinated, and I was also an intern at a pharmacy. And the pharmacy I was working at was like not, did not have the best uh, culture for me personally, maybe for other people, great. But for me, I just could not, I, I was just stressed out all the time. So I, I just was burning myself out so much to where after I had, after my, after my fourth exam in a week, I came home, I sat down with myself, and I literally thought I was having a heart attack because I, I, I just pulled I just pulled an all nighter and I studied for cardiology. 
So yeah. I was like, oh my God, I have AFib. Like, oh man, I probably have pulmonary hypertension too. Like, gosh, like, like my heart rate is dead. I'm definitely taking heart rate right now. Like, I was like, just over, I was high, super bad hypochondriac. And uh, they call that, I think, um, like, like medical student like syndrome, pharmacy uh, <laughs> student syndrome, whatever. But I, uh, I, yeah, I just laid in bed and I was like, if I die, I die. This is it. Cause I didn't, I just didn't want my, I just, I just, I just felt like right. I didn't want to, I don't know. I didn't know what I was trying to do with myself. I woke up fortunately and I felt my heart rate. I was like, fuck, like, this is still pretty high. So um, I went to the hospital and uh, I admitted myself in the emergency room. I told them how I was feeling and uh, they asked me a bunch of questions. Essentially they said that, yeah, I'm just super stressed out. Uh, did not, not sleeping and I'm drinking way too much caffeine. At the time, I was doing espresso shots instead of these coffee because it was a lot faster. And I lived yeah, right beside yeah. Big Dog Coffee Shop at the time, awesome coffee shop. But I was just going like back and forth there. Like they they, they should be illegal for them to sell me that much espresso. <laughs> but anyway, uh, the the I remember the uh, internist, uh, the uh, the doctor there. They asked, uh, "Do you have any emotional support?" And when they asked me that question, I just broke down in tears. I just cried. I was like. I don't, I mean, like, I just cried, you know, like, I, I don't, I didn't, like, I have friends, you know, I had friends at the time, but who am I going to, I'm not going to just, like, talk to them about my stress, because, like, I know that I could have, and, like, they've expressed that I can talk to them, but it was kind of like a, I they don't didn't want to understand, they don't, I mean, yeah, they, I mean, a lot of my friends at the time were business majors, too, you know, yep. like, nothing, nothing, nothing wrong with business majors, but, like, it's just a it's completely different, like, Duquesne business, Duquesne yeah. pharmacy are, I'm a, I was I graduated from the business school. I can say this like that they're completely two different things. And I lived with a pharmacy major. I understand like I saw the tears and the stress. Like you're not. I know you aren't the only person that felt that way. So right. Jesus. So, Go ahead. Yeah. so for yeah. So for me, like I at that time too, I was studying my psychi- psychiatric neuro- neurology course at Duquesne, awesome. and you know I I, re- I diagnosed myself with. Uh, with, with, with depression, with generalized anxiety disorder. I was pe- pretty paranoid too, just like not good. My mental health was really suffering like drastically. Um, and I knew I didn't want to seek the gold standard treatment options being antidepressants. Like just learning about the side effects, you know, from sexual dysfunction to constipation, diarrhea. You know, people can get lucky and find something they like, but I just didn't really have the patience to, or the access really to find like someone to work with the time even to find someone to work with. Like I'm, I'm here. I am like trying to find someone like a, a therapist, but like I'm broke and I have no time. And like, like, like what am I going to do? I didn't have a car at the time too. My car was broken down. <laughs> like there's just like not much I could do there. So yeah. fortunately about a two years before that happened, I was introduced to some of the research surrounding psilocybin and psychedelic medicine. And I've always been pretty fascinated by it and like, you know, was always reading up on it. Uh, I highly recommend people to check into this, the work of like Terrence McKenna, for example, awesome, awesome uh, philosopher or Dennis McKenna. He's an ethnobotanist and just listening about just like the potential here for, for a, an alternative approach to healing mental health, right. To promoting mental health, to be able to, uh, to be able to just, find healing, not, not symptom management, but like I'm talking about long-term healing. Uh, I mean, the, the research of Johns Hopkins being studied on folks with uh, depression and anxiety due to terminally ill cancer diagnoses, outstanding, you know, a six-month follow-up, 
statistically significant results regarding decreased depression scores and de decreased anxiety scores. Uh, those, are, those are clinician rated scores. Additionally, you have some uh, studies coming out from the Imperial College of London, led by Dr. Robin Card Harris and his group. Like they do a lot of work on the treatment resistant depression population. So those are patients that have failed a couple lines of therapy already and are still you know, treatment resistant depression. So it's like, like, there's like no other options for them. You, right. Usually with treatment resistant depression, you're doing like a, um, electric, uh, like magnetic therapy on the brain. And like that in itself is a pretty crazy area. I don't know enough, enough about it, but they studied, uh, psilocybin, a high dose psilocybin experiences on these uh, patients with treatment resistant depression and found that at a three, at a, at a one week follow-up, uh, statistically significant results at a three month follow-up statistically significant results. And then at a six month follow-up, those, those results were still significant. So for me, I'm learning about this. I'm applying a lot of the understandings from school to the science. And I'm realizing like, oh my gosh, like I can't, like, I, I, I think this is what I need to do. Like based off of me personally, like I think that this is the right decision to make. And I can't, I'm not, who am I going to talk to about this? You know, I didn't talk to any, I didn't talk to my parents about this. I'm not going to talk to my professors about this. I'm not going to, cause I, I can't, you know, I'm a pharmacy student at the time. Fortunately, I wasn't, you know, not licensed, so I, I can disclose that. Um, but yeah, at the time, I'm, I'm like just kind of lost, but I found something that just made sense. You know, like uh, I got introduced to it a lot, again, from Terrence McKenna's uh, stoned ape theory, right? So he, he yeah, stoned <laughs> ape theory is cool, it's a cool one. It, was, uh, it made sense to me at the time, and it's still, it's still highly plausible. Essentially, Terrence McKenna, uh, again, he's a famous, he's a really pretty well-known well philosopher of the psychedelic community. He talks about the stone ape theory. And what he states is that he believes that human evolution was catalyzed due to the incorporation of psilocybin containing mushrooms, uh, which again, like magic mushrooms. He believes that he believes that a group of our ancient, ancient, ancient ancestors stumbled upon these mushrooms um, through, uh, through, through uh, navigating the different grass plains after leaving their tropical, you know, more the tropical climate or their trees. And uh, they found mushrooms and essentially started like micro and macro dosing on oh, over time. It started becoming a part of their diet. And the reason why is because uh, uh, psilocybin is a, you know, as a serotonergic compound and it helps increase like visual acuity, acuity. It helps increase libido. It increases depth perception. Essentially these, these hunter and gathering tribes were being a much more resilient and in their survival uh, during this time. And with that, they, the claim here is that this ancient group of ancestors essentially outbred others because they have the incorporation of psilocybin containing mushrooms in their diet and in their culture. Um, so like for me learning about that, again, like applying some of the neurochemistry I've learned and just like always being pretty fascinated by human evolution itself, like, like how's, how the heck did our brains double in size in you know, 200,000 years? Like what the heck, what happened there? Like why is no one talking about that? <laughs> you know, yeah, you gotta take yeah. it for granted, right? So there's, a, there's it's all I believe is very multifactorial. Like it could definitely be due to, you know, learning how to cook with fire. So you have a lot more different amino acids in your diet, which can help, you know, fuel brain growth to entering the stone age and using, you know, like creating like tools like that in itself is shown to stimulate the prefrontal cortex. But then also when it comes to psilocybin and the way it works, it really resonated with me. It really, really just, it really struck a nerve. Like I remember like whenever people would come over and hang out, I was like, guys, you got to listen to this dude talk about this crazy theory. 
<laughs> and everyone looking at me, probably, like, I gotta go. Yeah, I mean, that happened definitely. But like, I was just, I was in awe, and I, and I wanted to talk about it to people, but I couldn't find much community. And you know, with that, anyway, uh, moving forward, like, yeah, I decided to pursue a large dose, uh, quote unquote, a heroic dose of psilocybin mushrooms, uh, focusing nothing but the back of my eyelids. I, you know, blindfolded myself, laid underneath my blanket, blacked out my windows, locked my door, and just laid in my room. So essentially, I decided to pursue this approach because I just didn't really, for me, believe that the gold standard uh, approach to treating depression and anxiety was what I wanted to do. I felt that my calling was to really pursue this deep dive inward through this experience. Yeah, psilocybin, again, is found uh, naturally all around the world, found in these, uh, these, these mushrooms. Uh, there's over 200 to 200 to 250 different species of psilocybin containing fungi. I mean, mushrooms have been around for over 500 million years. We're actually more closely related to fungi than we are to other animals. It's pretty fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I bet you people, I didn't believe that. I thought we were like, a, like basically an animal, but that's crazy. Wow. Thank you for that. I mean, even thinking about like uh, antibiotics, you know, penicillin's basis comes from uh, mold, right? Mm-hmm. Alexander Fleming found that out. And yeah. that, like, that's, that is fungi. That is essentially this, the same family that we're talking about here. So it's, I really encourage anyone to check out this awesome documentary called Fantastic Fungi, by Paul, uh, uh, narrated by Paul Stamets. Freaking awesome documentary. Literally fantasticfungi.com, I think. But okay. really, really fascinating stuff. I mean, the, fun, the world of fungi itself and, uh, and mushrooms is just like booming, up and coming. It's an untapped multi-billion dollar industry just because of the healing properties due to legal mushrooms from like cordyceps, shaga, reishi, lion's mane, but also, you know, when it comes to psilocybin mushrooms being the next wave in mental health, like there's a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of potential there to help a lot of people, but also be able to be, you know, um, I guess like financially stable if this is something that you're really devoted to. Uh, but anyway, back to the science. So psilocybin, you ingest it, it gets metabolized into psilocin. Okay. Psilocin is what's the, what's actually the psychoactive, uh, alkaloid found in these mushrooms and because uh, psilocybin is a prodrug. So any pharmacy student or uh, chemist will know what a prodrug is. Again, it needs to be metabolized to be active. Psilocin binds to the serotonin 2A receptors. Okay. So the, relative to the 1A receptors, 1A receptors are usually where SSRIs operate. Uh, like for example, any of your SSRIs like peroxetine, fluoxetine, that's really, that helps with like, the, works on the limbic system, regulates emotions and memory. It also builds resilience, builds patience in people. Uh, it can help, can help with uh, just tolerating stress and essentially helps blunt some emotions. That's what, that's what it does. Now, when it comes to the serotonin 2A receptors, which is again, this is where psilocybin or psilocin is active at. This is active, active in the cortex and that's responsible for your, uh, your awareness, uh, responsible for consciousness. It also is enabling uh, neuroplasticity and what we see here again is that serotonin 2A, it activates that, recept- that receptor. And what we understand is that a lot of crosstalk now happens in the brain. Okay, so what crosstalk is, is areas in the brain that normally don't talk to each other start communicating. They start interacting with each other. All these different hub regions uh, found around, around the mind and all these different networks, like they're usually non, non-operational um, with, like, uh, with like normal day-to-day. But under the influence of this psilocybin, they start chit-chatting. And so really, there's a really cool image from the Beckley Institute. If you just type in 
psilocybin, placebo, Beckley Foundation, uh, fMRI. I'm sure you'll find a really, really cool image of the placebo group and the psilocybin group, and it shows the interconnectivity found in the uh, psilocybin group. So what happens now is that you have this uh, network in the brain, okay, called the default mode network, or the DMN. And the default mode network is responsible for um, our sense of self, responsible for autobiographical memory, responsible for organization. And what they're finding is that people that are a bit more stressed or like, that are depressed or anxious or have OCD or addiction actually have a lot of activity, much more activity than normal in the default mode network, okay? So what's going on here now is that upon activation of the, the serotonin 2A receptor, the 5-HT2A receptor with psilocybin, the, that shuts down the default mode network. So that, D, that DMN slows down, and that's what enables crosstalk in the brain, which promotes neuroplasticity for habit change, paradigm changes, perspective changes. And like, again, neurogenesis is happening here because there's areas in the brain that are never taught that are finally communicating. A really cool analogy here, guys, is, uh, is to, to think about like sledding down a hill, okay? So you're sledding down a hill. If you slide down the hill over and over again, you start creating the same pathway, the same path down the hill, okay? And to, to after a while, like your decisions, your habits are essentially that same route down the hill, uh, whether they be good or bad. Now what psilocybin and other psychedelics have to offer here is essentially they serve as that fresh uh, coat of snow on that hill to where when you're on top of that hill now, that there is a, it's a blank sheet and you can go down and use a whole new pathway. So the idea is that people are able to have a lot of amazing habit changes, uh, insights, is again, there's a complete change in their perspectives and the way they approach their own life and their relationship to others. Uh, essentially, you know, people always feel, you know, united with everyone. Uh, they feel as though they're a part of a collective consciousness uh, with, with, with everything uh, upon these experiences. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, kind of what happened to me, too. You know, I had that experience. I had that sense of unity. I had that, you know, that feeling of awe. And, you know, I realized that it's much bigger than myself. You know, I, like, I, like I'm stressed out. But, like, I can change that. I have the capacity to change that. And I, I, I changed that and I'm so grateful for it. I mean, it's after my experience, uh, Sammy, after my experience, I got super involved in like my professional organizations in my community. I was the youngest ever elected member of the Southside Community Council. And I was sat as a board for a that. year. Yeah, I was sat for the board with the board for a year. I like listening to them shit talk foxtail. I'd like me having to kind of like understand where they're coming from but like you know like i had to like i worked with like in helping with like like the neighborhood disputes you know due to parking disturbances to organizing uh you know garden tours <laughs> like and it was fun like i enjoyed being a part of the community because i was a student there for a few years uh, i was like the president of the pediatric pharmacy advocacy group i was a vice president of the american pharmacists association treasurer of phi delta chi my pharmacy fraternity and also, oh my God, I totally forgot about that. Yeah, and then vice president of the, uh, of the Pennsylvania Pharmacists Association. Like, yeah, like, like having this experience, I'm not saying that it's the reason why I am who I am, but it definitely was a catalyst for me to realize who I wanted to become. That's what it is.
Mm-hmm. Or I want to give you guys more than just take your meds, work out. Yeah, that oh, those things do help. And we and we journal and we meditate and we get the sunshine and we get the right nutrients. We understand all of this, but there are other ways that don't include big pharma. Mini version of your opinion on big pharma. I mean, it's good and bad. You know, I work in pharma. Yeah. You know, I had rotations at Gilead Sciences where. We help put Discovy into market. I mean, like I know, it's so like big pharma is like kind of the same thought process. Oh, like I hate the government. But it's like, okay, you're talking about your mailman or you're talking about your bus driver. What do you mean by you hate the government? Right, same yeah. thing with big pharma. There's so many people, so many moving parts and they all want to do right to their own regards. But unfortunately, you know, they're not as inclusive as you'd like it to be. And, you know, due to consumer culture, you know, we're so prone to want that quick fix, the easiest, most convenient route to feeling good or feeling better, whether that be long-term or short-term. Um, yeah. So like my, my perspectives on big pharma or just pharmaceutical industry is really, you know, it's, it's a good and bad thing. I mean, like, I think that it's amazing that through like computational chemistry and, you know, that drug discovery and, you know, manufacturing, we're able to get a drug out to market that can be so you know, specific to receptors to eliminate side effects associated with this natural uh, component. But like, but like, again, like there's so many people just so dependent. And so I guess, I guess it's like a, it's a crutch for many and people need crutches. But I just think that if people are ready to have another, to pursue another option, there just needs to be another option when it comes down to, right? Like, I think that again, Pharma, oh, the pharmaceutical oh. industry, like it's a, it's a complete reflection as to how much we've evolved as a human species. Like, it really is. Like, if you think about how drugs come to be into mm-hmm. a tablet or injection, like what the heck? Like that's it's crazy. And we've come that it. far, you know, it's we've come that far as a species. But again, like this shouldn't be the only option. That's, that's the biggest. Okay. So do you think psilocybin is more of like a natural way? Like, do you consider this natural versus like taking a, med- like a, a pill every single day? Yeah, because I mean, it comes from the ground, quote right. unquote. I mean, to- I mean, totally I do. Yeah. I mean, obviously the whole philosophical debate on what's natural, it comes into well, play here. Yeah, yes. But like when it comes to the closest thing to nature, hundred percent. I mean, literally these, I mean, like a quick overview of the history here of what's going, what happened is like these mushrooms have been utilized in ceremonial indigenous context for thousands of years from Ten, like from eight or seven or no, 9,000 years ago, I think, found in southeastern Algeria, they found cave paintings uh, depicting mushroom shamans to 6,000 years ago, finding them in South America to back, you know, like throughout history, you know, they've found over and over again, a, a clear evidence that communities and, and, uh, and uh, religions revolved around the utilization of, of sacred medicine being these mushrooms and other, and other compounds. Uh, including like peyote or mescaline or San Pedro. Um, and what's crazy is that, you know, this entire time of human history, we've had access to these, right? People, we've potentially co-evolved with these. And it was 50 years ago that they decided to outlaw them. What the heck? You know, they, they oh, put like- What happened? What happened? So what happened here was just, you know, politics and the misunderstanding and the, I guess, uh, uh, demonization of the counterculture and the, you know, the you know, quote unquote hippie movement. And uh, they lumped in, you know, psilocybin and other psychedelics and cannabis with other Schedule One compounds and outlawed them. And, uh, you know, without really consulting medical experts. I mean, up until this time point, like the 50s and 60s were ripe with research regarding LSD, 
uh, psilocybin. They had a whole psilocybin project at Harvard University. Um, and like, there was just so much good coming out of it. But there definitely was like some miss, like, there, there wasn't always done properly. And uh, it was just, it was definitely mis, misused. And that could be too, due to miseducation or uh, whatever happened. But either way, like, we've had an entire, all of our lineages having access to these compounds, these natural plant medicines. And it wasn't until 50 years ago, we said, you know what, no. And like, you look at the trends of uh, mental health from then on. And obviously there's a lot of factors there, but oh yeah. Downward. Down, 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 down. Yeah. I mean, so now one in five U.S. adults have a mental illness, right? One in five have mental illness in a lifetime, 20% of people will have major depressive disorder. Like those are the statistics. The statistics don't lie. So yeah. It's I mean, facts. It's, uh, it's all yeah, facts. The facts. <laughs> it's so sad. It makes me actually like sick to think about a little bit. But like, you can't, but like, I mean, I understand that. It, it, yeah, it sickens me too sometimes. But like, I think education and awareness are the first steps. And now it's like using your voice to just like want to make sense of the nonsense. You know, like, yes. like ask the questions, right? There's nothing wrong with, we can have freedom of speech. All I want is just like for us to have multiple outlets and multiple resources and there's so many resources for so many different things. Like, why is mental health not a priority? I mean, it, it is becoming a priority. Let's yeah, be real. Yeah. Like, I feel that COVID definitely made the mental health community a little more, like, on the rise because of what it did to the world. Mm-hmm. Depression but, rates tripled since COVID, by the way. Trip, depression rates tripled. Did you guys mm-hmm. hear that? Did you guys hear that? Holy shit. That's insane. Yeah. So yeah, what do you I, think moving forward, like with your mm-hmm. life and the future of m- magic mushrooms and cannabis and just mental health in general, like we don't even have to talk to specifically about pharmacy stuff, but like, what do you think like is a good approach? Like what should we as Raising Serotonin listeners, what can we do to help promote like positivity and like light in this world for you? Like what can we do? Well, I mean, so it's going to be for, for all of us, right? I think, yes. again, it comes down to education. Like, so real quick, you know, when it comes to these experiences, all psychedelic experiences, you know, first of all, this is not, this entire podcast, me, me speaking, is not a endorsement to pursue any illegal activities. That we, I do not condone any illegal activities. I cannot support that. Um, but what we can do is educate ourselves and read the research and, like, get involved in our local psychedelic communities. You know, you ask the questions. Right. So some big, some big pieces of information to just take away with. So that way you will understand, you know, and then you can build off this foundation is preparation, facilitation, and then integration. Okay. Set and setting as well. So first preparation. So this is really crucial to really try to minimize any harms associated with a psychedelic experience. Preparation includes essentially developing intent, and uh, creating some mindfulness habits, whether that be yoga, breath work, uh, meditation, prior to an experience. Uh, usually the pre- preparation process should, is, I mean, no one knows exactly how long it should be. And some of those trials is only like a week long, two weeks long. I always recommend people like a month of preparation work, like, for like four, to, four to five weeks to prepare for an experience. Uh, that includes journaling, uh, finding someone to talk to, getting in touch with the community, and then facilitation. Facilitation 
is going to be the actual facilitation of the experience on your dose day. So what happens here is that usually you want to find someone to help supervise your experience. And they're essentially considered like a facilitator or a trip sitter. And that having that supervision with someone that is, you know, trained or um, very competent about this is really important too. And then lastly, you have integration. Integration is from the insights you had on your experience, right? So a lot of things can come up. It's not an easy thing. People, I think there's a misunderstanding about what the psychedelic experience is. Like, I think well, we understand it as more like associated with like rave culture or like going out in nature and having a fun time. And that's, that's definitely part of it. But, you know, the work here is all about for what, for what we're talking about. We want you guys to know that this is mental health related and that's what we are speaking about. Right. Well, and even like going out on nature walks, like there's like, there's actually a study that came out talking about how psychedelics in nature has been shown to be a, a synergistic combo. Basically, like there's, there's definitely benefit in being in nature. There's benefit taking, utilizing psychedelics, but the two hand in hand has actually been also shown in some studies to be very, to be uh, synergistic. Uh, so like one plus one equals three in terms of the therapeutic outcomes. So Great. yeah, like the idea here again is that uh, when it comes to the experience, like you're usually inward looking, like even the clinical trials, they have people masks, they have people listening to music, eyes closed, laying on, laying on a very comfortable sofa in a very warm and aesthetic, uh, aesthetically lit living room area with two people there, one person even holding the hand of the, the navigator or the patient. And like, they're going through some shit. I mean, like tears, crying, laughing, like, like there's a lot going on. Like the brain is just like go like going a lot more rapid pace, rapid fire. And like, you can relive trauma, right? You can relive some trauma and that if you're not ready for that, you know, it can be even more damaged than, than, than good. Um, right. So that's why preparation is important. Again, finding a helpful, uh, uh, some, an educated facilitator and then integration, 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 integration. I'm still integrating from four years ago, five years ago. I'm still integrating, right? Like I am, there are so many things that came to me about life, about my, my, myself, my, who I am, my relationship to my friends, my family, my goals. Like there's so much there that I need to still work through. Like that is integrating That's integration. So having a nice integration practice is amazing, is important. Um, and then I did bring up set and setting. There's a lot of analogy and overlap here to cannabis. I imagine being that set is the mindset or your internal set. Uh, going into the experience so like essentially you know your stress levels like how your life is like the uh the mindset you've chosen the intentions you have for pursuing the experience and then setting is the external environment <clears throat> whether that be your friend group if you're around friends or the room you're in or uh, the culture you're a part of like that's all the external and both set and setting have a huge influence on, on predictors of success regarding the psychedelic experience so those are some things to take away. Again, this is work and this is a tool. And the thing about tools is like, it's like a, it's like it's a hammer, right? You can, you build a house with it or you can smash your face in, but like it's a tool nonetheless. Wow. Well, thank you so much. You are so knowledgeable and I want you to be like, a, a savior of this mental health <laughs> community like i have yeah, faith in you I mean, you're doing your part too i mean it's just, you're just you're raising serotonin and you're talking you're communicating like we need people just to like try to figure it out you know that's you exactly it, it exactly i have some friends that have started their own like mental health pages and all yeah. i say to them is like don't stop spreading your message like every single 
step of this process is so important and including like what you're doing and what I'm doing. Like guys, just do stuff that betters you and that you want to learn about and research. Like if you took anything away from this, like care for your body and do proper research and we can reach some sort of light like there will there are different methods to getting better and you heard it from a pharmacist like it's not just me like I always just say like we can do things but guys you literally heard it from someone that is a trained professional and is doing this actively like how often do you partake in your uh nonprofit stuff so like the nonprofit is like the psychedelic pharmacist association yeah. So that's one nonprofit. I mean, we're just really building out some educational content right now, uh, establishing ourselves in like the psychedelic ecosystem, which is ever evolving. And then the other nonprofit being the Psychedelic Club of Pittsburgh. Every yes. month we hold integration circles or like okay. peer support groups. And it's for people that have challenging experiences in the past for them to share and discuss and talk about. And essentially it's just a very nice, kind, uh, welcoming environment from anyone do that from any level of experience of psychedelics from none to a lot to be able just to talk and ask questions and learn and be a part of a community. So that have, we do that on a monthly basis. And then uh, if you're looking to be get involved with some of the work we're doing at Silo Health or be a part or stay in touch with what we're doing, uh, feel free to go to silohealth.co. It's the website, silohealth.co. Uh, it's currently a landing page right now, but you can go ahead and put your email in. We do monthly newsletters. We have uh, monthly uh, integration series events to where we bring on different speakers and have essentially interactive podcasts uh, live streamed with an audience there. Uh, additionally, we do hold uh, monthly integration workshops for people also uh, trying to uh, interpret a previous psychedelic experience that is, uh, you know, uh, closes fast. So we only, we reserve about eight or nine seats. So if that's something you're interested in, please go ahead and check us out. Uh, we're active on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook. So feel free to check out Silo Health on there. That is P-S-I-L-O-H-E-A-L-T-H, Silo Health. And uh, yeah, if you ever need anything, try to, try to reach through to Sammy, reach through me, or you know, we're here to say, support. Yeah, we're a community. Are you going to plug yourself? Like, can you can people come talk to you? Yeah, you're more than welcome to. I have a lot of, a lot of people asking for like consults and uh, scheduling like, one-on-ones so like my time is sort of limited but yeah, you know i'm here i'm here to fair. serve yeah i'm here to serve so my awesome. dms are open on instagram uh, I'm, I'm active on linkedin uh, and again like just do the yeah self-educate is so important i mean you're not like we're we are all so unique but i think we come to find a lot of uh similarities regarding some of the issues we face whether that be internally externally so you're not alone you know you're unique and you're not alone. And uh, just reach out. Just reach awesome. out. Well, thank you so much. I really do appreciate everything you said. Totally. Thank you for holding space. Appreciate that. Of course. All right. I'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. One day sale with great deals of the day to refresh every room in your home like 40 to 60 percent off bright kitchen updates from the martha stewart collection brand new cookware sets 50 to 70 percent off and get our lowest prices of the season on cozy comforter sets just 19.99 at macy's plus star money bonus days start tomorrow
Details at Macy's.com slash star money. Savings off sale and clearance prices. Exclusions apply. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Is that Shakespeare? Nope. It's Geico. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Shakespeare from one of his unpublished works. Oh, it be not for awakening. Nay, give it thou the berries. For 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. No, it's from Geico, because they help save people money. Well, I hate to break it to you, but Geico got it from Shakespeare. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more.